Good morning to you. My name is Jason. If I have not met you, I'm on the, the pastoral team here at New Life Church. It's great to be together. Um, I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians 15. If you want to follow along, it's 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3 to 6, and then 12 to 20. I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me, that Christ died for our sins, just as the scriptures said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scriptures said. He was seen by Peter and then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time. Verse 12. But tell me this, since we preach that Christ rose from the dead, why are some of you saying there will be no resurrection of the dead? For if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, then all our preaching is useless and your faith is useless. And we apostles would all be lying about God, for we have said that God raised Christ from the grave, but that can't be true if there's no resurrection of the dead. And if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is useless and you are still guilty of your sins. In that case, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. If our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are to be more pitied than anyone in the world. But, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. This is God's word. Thank you, Wayne. Good morning, everybody. It is good to see you all. A special welcome to our guests this morning as well, who, who are visiting with us for different reasons. So, Resurrection Sunday. I'm going to ask you to think this morning. You're ready to do some thinking? Hopefully, you, you want to, ready to engage with this. It's going to be a challenge for some of you, but I specifically want you to think about Jesus' resurrection this morning, which is obviously an appropriate topic for Resurrection Sunday, I think. You were kind of, some of you probably came expecting that. We might say a few things about Jesus' resurrection. Now, the New Testament writers, uh, they all put the physical resurrection of Jesus as the climactic event of history and also the defining event which will define the future of the world as well. So there's two things that they do with the New Testament writers. They say that the resurrection of Jesus from the dead is, is the defining point in history. It divides everything. But it's also the definition of the future. So we speak of a future hope. And so, uh, so many of the songs that we've sung this morning already are filled with the imagery of that reality. Of what, as Christians, we're anticipating and looking for. Now, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, some of you will have read their books and you will have noticed if you've read them, they all use the same phrase. When they, when they tell the story of the life of Jesus and when they get to the point where they speak, uh, they're beginning to speak of the resurrection, they all use this same phrase and unfortunately it, it, um, English translations lose it a bit because the translators are trying to help you connect the dots but the phrase they use is this, on the first day of the week at sunrise, on the first day of the week. 
In your English translations, it's often, it says Sunday. But the, the original language actually says on the first day of the week. Now we, for us, Sunday is the first day of the week. But there's something about all four of these gospel writers that they use this phrase. And I think it's important to pay attention to a phrase. I think it's important to pay attention to things that in the scriptures all the time, but particularly things that are used in this kind of way. Now, I reckon there's several reasons that we could offer as to why they've all used this same phrase. On the first day of the week, as the dawn was breaking or as the sun was rising is what this is the kind of thing to do. And I think they want, to, they want to communicate to all of us really clearly that a new day has dawned for the whole world. It's not just that it was a new day and the first day of the week, but it was actually a new day for the whole world, the dawning of a new era for everyone. I also think they want us to connect back in our heads, in our brains, to the story of Genesis, where God creates the heavens and the earth, back in Genesis 1, where everything begins. And so they're wanting to connect these two realities. This, this is the beginning of a new creation. This is a recreation. God's recreating the world. He started that process. And death and decay have got an appointed end there's a day when they'll stop we haven't got there yet but the resurrection of Jesus triumphing over the death and decay of the grave is this great hope for all of us for all humanity that there's an appointed day when death and decay will disappear from the earth now hallelujah I'm in a, I am an aging human some of you are a better aged than me. Some of you are less aged than me. The thing I know is the more you age, the more you look forward to the end of death and decay and your body being resurrected and being able to do great and glorious things. I think the other things that Matthew, Mark and Luke and John are writing about when they use this phrase is they actually want everyone to know that the resurrection of Jesus puts Jesus in a category that no other human occupies. Uh, I, I don't know if anyone else has been resurrected from the dead. Uh, I don't know if I've did I miss something. Is there is there any other person, uh, you know, that's been resurrected from the dead? Not as far as I know. So, so in other words. The New Testament writers want, us to, want everybody to see that this puts Jesus in a very unique category, which means a whole bunch of things. It means that the words of Jesus and the deeds of Jesus have stand in a place as significant that no other human's words or deeds do. They occupy this unique space. Therefore, we ought to pay careful attention Someone called out Lazarus. Who remembers Lazarus? So he was raised from the dead. The Bible talks about him being raised from the dead. But his body was not a resurrection body. Jesus' body was a resurrection body. So in case you're joining the dots there and thinking, well, hang on, there was Lazarus. Lazarus was raised from the dead. He wasn't resurrected from death to life. And he was resurrected by the voice of Jesus, obviously calling him out of the tomb and the stone, someone had to roll the stone away. 
Jesus is in a unique category, all of his own. So we ought to pay careful attention. It was so exciting to hear the testimony that was given to us by Alex about his baptism, about that transforming moment of things and understanding that Jesus is a unique person in the history of the world. He's begun to pay attention to who Jesus is and follow Jesus and learn about Jesus. So keep thinking with me about Jesus' resurrection. Some of you consider yourselves to be disciples of Jesus. So here's my question for you. Can you say why Jesus' resurrection matters to you and to the whole world? Can you say that? Could you, talk, could you tell the person next to you? If you had to, I'm not asking you to do that. But could you tell them? Could you, could you go out to the man on the street or the woman on the street and stop them and say, excuse me, I'd just like to explain to you why Jesus' resurrection matters for you and matters for me, why it matters for the whole world. You know, it doesn't just matter for the people that are gathering in, in uh, religious buildings or church buildings across the planet today, but it matters for everyone. But can we say specifically why? Can you tell people specifically why, specifically how Jesus' resurrection changed your life and is changing your life and impacting what you do on a daily basis? Precision. Can you say precisely? <laughs> Love the humour in the crowd this morning. How exactly... Did Jesus' resurrection from the dead influence your life in the last seven days? How did, how did it influence the choices that you made? How did it affect your relationships? Your friendships? Your marriage? How did, how, specifically, how did it affect the choices that you made at home? In your workplace? Because it's a life-defining event, Jesus' resurrection from the dead, and coming into a relationship with Jesus and calling him Lord and Master and saying his resurrection matters, it, it ought to be changing and shifting things in all of us. It has practical implications. It's not just in the proverbial pie in the sky when you die dynamic. If Jesus is resurrected from the dead, if he is alive today, if he is living in you by the power of his Holy Spirit, that, that's making a difference in the day-to-day -day world. I just want to leave those questions hanging there for a moment. We might come back to them at the end. But I want to talk about the world for a few minutes. I think it's fair to say that the world is in turmoil. There's disorder, there's chaos, and there's anxiety. There are multiple wars spread around the world. And the one we're most talking about this at the moment is the one that's going on with Russia's invasion of the Ukraine. But there are many others. And there are famines and food poverty in lots of places in the world. There are natural disasters that have happened. Floods, cyclones, earthquakes these kind of things that have happened. There's political turmoil in, in countries. You might think our political system's in a bit of turmoil, uh, but it's nothing compared to some of the places like Sri Lanka 
and Pakistan and Yemen and elsewhere. There's great political turmoil. There are election campaign going on in our country, just in case you've missed that. The firing gun, I think, was shot last Sunday, wasn't it, on that? But there are election campaigns going on in multiple countries in the world and there's great divides between parties, between voters. The COVID virus continues to cause sickness and death and church scandals keep happening. The world's in turmoil. Let me give you a really simple illustration of what I mean by the world's in turmoil in case none of that's been enough for you. There was a Senate committee in Canberra very recently where they asked our the, an Australian medical professor who's the Secretary of Health to provide them with a definition of what a woman is. And after going backwards and forwards and him declining because it's a controversial subject and he would take the question on notice and they would confer in the health department and come up with a definition, and you think, well, hang on a minute. It used to be a universal and agreed definition that a woman has always been an adult human female. It was unquestioned. And the definition of man is an adult human male. There's females and males. And a woman is an adult female, human. And the man is an adult human man. Simple. And now we can't, well, some people find it difficult to define that. When, when these kind of things are happening, our world is in great turmoil. People are anxious. I reckon that professor's heart probably skipped a beat when he was asked that question because he knew that it was like a loaded dice. And instead of being a simple, straightforward uh, answer that he would have learned in his biology class in high school or primary school, whenever we teach biology, I don't know, it's been a while since I was in school, don't know when it, they get taught that these days. Um, the anxiety level in, in many people's lives has increased very significantly and perhaps has increased in your life as well recently turmoil worry and people are desperately searching for relief and for peace and so one of the things for all of us is where where do I look for relief from pressure where do I look for relief from anxiety I'm not going to ask you to call that out Here's some things I know that people turn to. To find a relief from pressure. Turn to wine. I need a good drink. Turn to other drugs. Pornography. Sit down in front of the TV and put on my favourite web streaming and show. I go shopping. I get angry 
and destructive. That's part of how I work out my anxiety. These are some of the things that people go to. And I think the important thing to understand, so I'm thinking about the resurrection of Jesus, you see, because we, all these things hopefully will join up as we keep going forward. You see, because what I believe about the resurrection ought to impact what I think, what I do and what I speak in crisis and pressure. What I believe about the resurrection will be revealed by what I speak and what I do in pressure. They'll actually tell me what I really believe in my heart and whether the truth of the resurrected Christ and that transforming impact has really influenced me. Now, our world needs people who are resurrection people. It needs people who the resurrected Christ is fully alive in them, fully transforming us. And so we are messengers of hope. We are beacons of hope. Our lives are hope. Our marriages are filled with hope. Our families are filled with hope. Doesn't mean we don't have problems. Not saying there's a difference between a problem and a hope, isn't there? But it means that the people around me who do not know Christ in their anxiety in the turmoil of the world ought to see something about Christ in me and the hope I have in his return and the hope that I have because of his resurrection that they are able to go and come to me and say, what on earth is going on? You are weird. Why aren't you afraid? Why aren't you anxious about X, Y, Z? Why do you have hope? And you, as a follower of Christ, we ought to be able to speak this to people. I have hope because I am worshipping a resurrected man who's transforming me and he's moving all of humanity to a set point where he will return. This is what the New Testament writers do. They anchor people in this hope of Jesus' resurrection. They lift their gaze up from the things that they're surrounded by in their culture and they remind them of a higher vision and a higher reality. The New Testament writers write to people like you and me who are under extreme pressure. And they write with details of how to live as resurrected people. Because how they were believing was anchored in Jesus' resurrection. What they were speaking was anchored in Jesus' resurrection. You see, how they responded to oppressive government dictates was anchored in Jesus' resurrection. How they responded to injustice was anchored in Jesus' resurrection. How they loved their wives was anchored in Jesus' resurrection. How they got on with their husbands was anchored in Jesus' resurrection. How they did their work was anchored in Jesus' resurrection. How they raised their children was anchored in Jesus' resurrection. How the teenagers lived and obeyed their parents was anchored in Jesus' resurrection. And how they grieved was anchored in Jesus' resurrection. 
all of life for the early disciples of Jesus was anchored in the resurrection of Jesus and how that was outworked in their lives. Some of you remember Peter. We've been following some daily readings and you will, if those of you who've been doing the Passover readings as we've been going, you would have read just a couple of days ago of the time where Peter denied three times that he knew Jesus, that he was a disciple of Jesus, his greatest failure, his greatest moment of shame. We haven't yet got to the story where he stands in the temple in Jerusalem and with great courage and boldness proclaims that that one that was crucified, God has raised him from the dead and he's the Lord and he's the Messiah. We haven't got to that bit in the story yet. But I want you to hear something that he wrote to people later on towards the end of his life. It's from his first letter, 1 Peter chapter 1. He writes this to people. So think about yourself. Imagine yourself. You don't need to imagine yourself under great pressure because you are under great pressure, many of you at the moment. But imagine being a persecuted minority people being hunted. Put yourself in that position, if you can, in that mindset. Imagine your livelihood being threatened unless you turn and give up this Jesus And Peter writes to them who are scattered. And he says these things. He says, all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. All praise. That's a great place to start. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's by his great mercy that we have been born again because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Hallelujah. That's a great opening, isn't it? So, by his great mercy. It's not something we did, it's something he's done for us. We've been born again because God raised Jesus from the dead. And now, now we live not as scaredy cats, intimidated into silence. We live with great expectation, Peter says. These are people who are impoverished people he's not wealthy westerners like you and me these are impoverished people he says now we live with great expectation and we have a priceless inheritance an inheritance that's kept for you in heaven pure and undefiled beyond the reach of change and decay so be truly glad wow in other words he's like People, let's lift our eyes up. Let's remember who God is. Let's remember what he's done. Let's remember that there's a priceless inheritance that we have because we belong to Christ. So we can be truly glad. It's wonderful joy, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. If it doesn't pass the trial test, it's not genuine faith. It's being tested as fire, tests and purifies gold. Though your faith is more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you... This is interesting. This will, when you, you endure many trials, your faith remains strong through many trials. It will bring you much praise 
and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. So you want to live for a hope? You want to live for a trophy? You want to live for an award ceremony? Peter's saying, live for that reward ceremony. The day that Jesus Christ comes back, that's the day that you're looking for where you are going to receive much praise, much glory and much honor because you remain faithful to Christ. You see, our day hasn't come yet. Some of you live in this place, you think, when's it going to be my turn to shine? Peter's invitation is to say, look much higher. Fix your eyes on that day. On that day you will receive much glory, much honour, much praise from the one whose praise and glory and honour counts, God's. People change their opinions. Last week we had Palm Sunday, remember? Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. On Friday, well, Thursday, Thursday, crucify him, crucify him. It's like, what? People are fickle. I'm fickle, you're fickle. Some days you think I'm a pretty good speaker. Other days you think it was not worth coming this morning. I hope it's the first this morning. But anyway, I know your opinions and I'm not my, my sense of self-worth isn't anchored in what you think about me. I like it that you like what I say, but it's not anchored in, in you. Anyway, we'll move on. There's a day coming when Jesus Christ is going to be revealed to the whole world, Peter says. And then he goes on and so here's some key things. And he says, so, okay, so prepare, prepare, prepare your minds. Prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. So important, prepare your mind for action. It's such a battleground in people's minds for your thoughts. In the story that you tell yourself. And as people, resurrection people, we ought to be telling ourselves a resurrection story that's full of hope. Again, doesn't mean life isn't difficult. But the story we tell ourselves ought to be one full of hope. I have hope. Because of Jesus' resurrection. So prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. Put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed. The fullness of your salvation is not yet being received. The fullness of it will come when Christ is revealed to the world. So in the meantime, you live, this is Peter's word still, you live as God's obedient children. You live as God's obedient children in the meantime. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. Don't slip back there. Don't go back to the things that you used to look for, for freedom from anxiety and pressure and turmoil, the wine, the pornography, the whatever. The, don't go back there. Don't go back to anger. Don't go back to whatever it is. Fix your eyes on him, the resurrected one. 
Don't slip back and remember that your heavenly father to whom you pray has no favorites. That's good, isn't it? God doesn't have any favorites. Well, actually, he has a lot of favorites. He has a lot of favorites, actually. All his kids are his favorites. The heavenly father to whom you praise no favorites, he will judge or reward you according to what you do. He will judge or, or reward you according to what you do. Remember, this is being written to Christians. Through Christ, you've come to trust in God and you've placed your faith and hope in God because he raised Jesus from the dead and gave him great glory. You were cleansed from your sins when you obeyed the truth. So now you must show sincere love to each other as brothers and sisters. Love each other deeply with all your heart for you've been born again, but not to a life that will quickly end. Your new life will last forever because it comes from the eternal living word of God. Resurrection people live and view and interpret life through the res lens of the resurrection of Jesus and so therefore they live with hope because they know that when Jesus returns, justice will be fully revealed. Tr reconciliation. All the barriers of hostility will be removed and there will be restoration. And so we, we work for these things now. It's not like we, we, you know, sit back and go, well, it doesn't matter. I don't have to bother about reconciliation. I don't have to bother about injustice. Yes, we do. But we know all of our efforts are actually not going to accomplish the ultimate goal that we long for and the world's crying out for because it needs Jesus back here as king, ruling and reigning. And that's why I've been saying to you today that I wanted you to think about the resurrection with me. Because the New Testament writers put the physical resurrection of Jesus as the climactic event of history and the defining thing for the future of the world. So if I came down and talked to you one by one, if, I could, if, we, had the, if we had the opportunity and I could sit and we could talk across the table and I could say to you, why does Jesus' resurrection matter to you? What are the practical and tangible ways the resurrection of Jesus is working in your life and in your family? If you claim to be in Christ, you ought to be able to tell me. And I think many of you would be able to. And I hope that these thinking about this this morning may have even provoked you to think a bit more. Because I believe we ought to be able to say exactly how Jesus' resurrection influences our marriages and the way that we raise our children. We ought to be able to say how it influences the way we do our job. The way that we treat people who we think are worth less than us. And the way that we treat people who we think are worth more than us. Because we've got both going on. There's people we look down on and there's people we look up on. And the resurrection of Jesus ought to inform and, and bring those two things into more of a parody. The New Testament authors tells us that a new day dawned with Jesus' resurrection. And it's important that we understand that those authors were Jewish 
people living under oppressive and brutal Roman occupation. And yet they declared that Jesus' resurrection was the greatest hope the world had ever received. It was a hope more powerful than global turmoil, a hope more powerful than climate change and a hope more powerful than family tragedy, a hope more powerful than all governments, all business kings with their trillions of dollars, or more powerful than dictators. Peter and the other apostles saw that Jesus' resurrection as the evidence that in the end there will be justice, reconciliation and recreation. They believed and understood that the suffering of the innocent will be avenged by God himself. God can be trusted. When he says vengeance is mine, I will repay, uh, you can be sure he's going to do that. When he says that the wealth of the wicked will be given to the humble, it's going to happen. Jesus' resurrection enabled those first disciples of Jesus to courageously face injustice and persecution because they saw the future when Jesus will judge the world justly and rightly. As resurrection people, we ought to be defined by this hope. And the resurrection of Jesus needs to be changing everything about our lives because it confirms my own resurrection and God's final judgment and evaluation of my life and everybody else's life. I will be resurrected. And I will be evaluated and judged and rewarded according to my words and deeds, just as the scripture said. So therefore, my obedience to Jesus and the scriptures matters, and so does yours. And we need to remind ourselves regularly the specific ways that Jesus' resurrection influences everything so that we live as resurrection people. So here's a very practical, tangible place to start for this morning with the words of Peter. This is from 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 22. He says, you must show sincere love to each other as brothers and sisters. Love each other deeply with all your heart. We get to practice that one on a daily basis with the people that we live with, that work with, study with, play with, with the people in this church, with other people throughout the body of Christ. We get to, to practice this. Show sincere love to each other. Love each other deeply with all your heart. And we're going to get some really um, beautiful ways to learn to do that in house church. Because you might find that you are in house church with people you 
don't know too well. Or maybe you've got an ungracious opinion of them. Maybe you think they're worth more than you. Maybe you think they're worth less than you. We're going to get to practice being resurrection people. Learning to love one another deeply and sincerely. Sincerely, not superficially. And I hope I've stirred you a bit to think about the resurrection of Jesus and, and the practical outworkings of what that means in day-to-day living. And I want to encourage you to keep that conversation going with the people in your household. Keep it going. Share with each other. Stir one another up about the resurrection of Jesus and how it makes your life, how it's influencing the decisions that you're making as a husband, as a wife, as a parent, as a co-worker, as a teenager, as a young adult. How it's making a difference in your life. Let's pray together. Let's stand. Let's stand up and pray together. First of all, just begin to, just begin to ask God to help you. Maybe you haven't thought about this before. Ask God to help you. Help you understand how the resurrection of Jesus ought to be influencing all of the things you do and all of the things that you say. Where those areas you're falling short, ask Him to help you. Let the fullness of His resurrection life fill you. Ask Jesus to help you. If you've never surrendered your life to Jesus right now in this moment, you can do what Alex did in that classroom a couple of years ago. Say, Jesus, I surrender my life to you. Come and fill me with yourself. Cleanse me of all my sin. Restore me back to God. Help me to become who you created me to become. Holy Spirit, I ask you to fill our hearts and our minds with big thoughts about the resurrection of Jesus and why it matters. Stir us up, Holy Spirit, to a greater and higher vision than we've ever had before of the resurrection of Jesus. Make us really, truly people of the resurrection. Make us ambassadors of reconciliation. Let all of that, all that we do, let all that we do speak of who you are and what you've done. We bless you today, Jesus. We give you thanks for your death, for your resurrection. And we look forward to soon remembering and celebrating your ascension to the highest place you're given a name that's above every name and that the name of Jesus there's a day coming when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father Amen we want to be people who experience the blessing of God and give away the blessing of God to others so may the one true and living God the Father, Son and Spirit the source of hope, 
fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him so that you overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit I bless you in the name of God the Father, Son and Spirit Amen